We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. We're throwing back cocktails, and we're here to talk about winners and losers from the opening week of NFL training camps, both of the Buffalo Bills and abroad. Before we dive into all the football conversation, Chris. Should I get them out of the fridge? There's only, well, we only have one. I'd argue you should have to drink that. I should argue you have to drink it because your option came in dead last. But you opened three and gave me the out that if three won, we would both drink. Guess what? You got greedy. Tell the listeners what we're talking about. So I put a Twitter poll out. You had sent me a text message and... I have it up. I will read it to you. It said, Just thinking about it now, probably no point in recording if we have to do it Monday. To me, that reads, We're not report, we're not podcasting right now on Thursday night, as we have been doing, because my parents are coming in on Wednesday. So next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, not an option to record. You've got softball on Wednesday. I've got hockey on Tuesday, leaving Monday the only day that we could do next week. And I looked at that and went, well, how many practices are between a Thursday and a Monday? Is that enough to push everything to Monday? Because the basis of your text, no point in recording if we have to do it Monday. So that already implies we're recording on Monday. 
So that makes it me- does not. You you sound like a crazy person right now. This is what I love, people. He, he leaves out crucial context. So he and I are talking about this in terms of okay. we're going to record this week, and then next week we have to pick a day. Your parents are coming into town. I understand Thursday's off off limits. But if we have to do it Monday, now me not realizing, hey, there's three practices between tonight when we're recording on Thursday and Monday, that I'm thinking if there's if there's not three practices and there's probably not a lot more to rehash, and I'm not going to come in here and try to spin plates and waste everybody's time. That's a waste of your, the listener's time, because I respect you. I'd like to think that our listeners, we're not the biggest podcast, but we do have a, a very loyal following, as we see in our numbers, as we see as things go on in the season, the people who interact with us on social media, the people who come and see us at tailgates. You guys are loyal as hell. I wouldn't waste your time with drivel just to push podcast numbers if I genuinely didn't feel like I had anything to talk about, right? Do you want, do you want me to get into time here? So, but this is my point, Chris. You leave out the context of, we always record on Thursday, we were talking about what we were going to record tonight, and then next week came up. So I've now moved on from the previous week, and I'm only thinking of the next week in a vacuum. You somehow took that to mean that I did not want to record tonight's show, apropos of nothing. So That was the... You sent that Tuesday at 3.05. Yep. Just thinking about it now, probably no point in recording if we have to do it Monday. The previous text in said chain, because I have all of our text messages, you sent Monday night at 9.37. Probably let me make sure I didn't have anything going on for dinner with Larissa. That was me asking you your availability for tomorrow night because I've been perusing Marketplace for a basement refrigerator. Okay. So there's nothing about the we hadn't been talking about your reading comprehension sucks no i'm just going in order of text messages no no so this is my point though at no point right like once i showed those screenshots to people who initially agreed with you they kind of waffled and they'd soften their stance on it so here's what you did you being so cocksure that you're right and this is why i love you you said, I'm going to make a Twitter poll, and I'm going to make three options. And as soon as you said three, I go, oh, he's fucked. He's fucked. This is hilarious. So what three options did you give me? You said you would post my supposition, Mine, yours. And then record both days. And then a third option, in which case we both had to drink a Seagram's. What happened, Chris? When See, if you felt that strongly about the thing that you were saying, you should have left it at only two choices. Okay, but Instead, y- you gave people three. Your option and mine did not tie. Yours finished in dead last. Doesn't matter. You gave me a third option, and it tied for the lead, which means it's a push, which means either we discount the whole thing or we both drink. Them's the rules. So we have, you made them. We have, this is how and here's the best part. What that poll did was it proved because... If you had to guess out of which one of the three, my question is, how the hell did people take from that statement, we should record both days? Because we that's are. The dumbest, you know, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, we are recording both days. We're doing an AFCE show, not for you people to look ahead to, an AFCE show on Monday. So but what, this is my point. What should happen? That shouldn't have come out of that conversation. No one should have believed that that's what I was trying to say. In which case, the fact that it tied with what you think only proves that the internet is filled with stupid people. And that's what you get for relying on the internet to help you make your point. So based on Twitter poll results, I should have to drink the neck of the bottle 
because we have one Jamaican Me Happy left. That's our last Seagram's in the fridge. I should drink just the neck of the bottle, and then you should drink the rest. I don't because care. you were so far in last place. I talked to the smartest man in our community, Ryan Lacell, and he, <laughs> and he wholeheartedly agreed with me. Oh, yeah, of course clearly the text Bad message bastard. text the text message assumes no recording Thursday. Split this Seagrams. I'm more than happy to do it with you, sir. That way we only get half diabetes. Well, here let me let me start. Because I got the top of the neck. And also because you drink these things like a Sally. It'll take well, you 20 minutes to work your way through it. Look, at, the neck is not much. The fact that it took Here. you that long to drink that much of it is ridiculous. The, re- the rest is... The rest... And you see, I, can play, I should have played basketball. You should have seen that shot top right into the trash can. You drink the rest of that because you deserve it for your inability... You have... You have a tenuous grasp on what it's like the lawyer from Always Sunny. I mentioned Always Sunny. It seems like, yeah, it seems like your response to me winning that Twitter poll is you're just going to go the filibuster and then you're going to break a door. <laughs> just like Charlie Day did in all that episode Always Sunny. Now, what's funny, folks, is that you didn't hear it, but in the time it took Chris to drink the neck of the Seagrams, I finished the rest of it. Because I'm an adult. I don't know. You watch you watch Super Troopers to get your uh, drinking ability when they suck down the maple syrup. I am all that is man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we were both losers this week. And that's kind of the theme of tonight's show. Winners and losers. We're going to do one of these every week. It'll be a quick little, little pop-in just to take a look at the Buffalo Bills, who's up, whose stock is down, who we want to make fun of that week. Did you get this idea from Sal Capaccio? No, what I got... He has an arrow up, arrow down column. Yeah, but arrows up, arrows down means there's trending. I'm just calling these people losers. (laughs) I'm just... (laughs) I'm being far more definitive. So you're just going far like this will never work. Not never work, but also like... More like, hey, this is a cool thing. Or like, this is a thing that's interesting. Versus, here's a thing we should all point and laugh at. (laughs) Nelson Muntz was here. That would be his segment. So with that said, we start with a look around the NFL. The winners this week are free agent centers. I want to start by saying I'm not here to punch down on athletes who get hurt because that's gross. I don't like that. We, Chris, you and I know athletes personally. It would be rough if like we see the human side of this whole thing. Yep. So it would be kind of gross to sit here and make light of somebody suffering a significant injury. But it is noteworthy that for the small handful of tenured veteran free agent centers that are still out there on the market, just this morning, Ryan Jensen, Pro Bowl center of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has allegedly torn his ACL. Allegedly. And all they have on the depth chart behind him is a sophomore player with zero NFL starts to his credit. When you look at the UFA center list, there's only three players with any real starting experience. Uh, Matt Paradis formerly of the Carolina Panthers, who was once rumored to be a target of the Buffalo Bills in free agency before they ultimately, I think they shocked everyone with that when they went with Mitch Morse, didn't they? Yeah. Like, all day long, all we didn't kept hearing Par- is, Didn't oh, Paradis go to the Jets? No, that was the hilarious part. Everyone kept going, it's the Bills and the Jets for Matt Paradis. They're neck and neck, negotiations are tight. And all of a sudden, the Bills announced that they're signing Mitch Morse <laughs> to a record contract for centers. 
And everyone goes, okay, well, obviously then the Bills went another direction and the Jets get Matt Paradis. And then Matt Paradis goes, whoa, 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 I'm signing with the Panthers. <laughs> Isn't that the most Jets thing? Yeah, it is. Like, there's also a Alex Redmond who he's only been healthy enough to start one season in interior offensive line in his entire career, but he's got that one season. And then there's J.C. Treader, NFL Players Association president, former starter in Cleveland, and a Western New York native. He's a former Akron Tiger, which is kind of cool. For one man's loss becoming another man's gain, one of these three guys stands a pretty fair chance of going from sitting on the couch to giving snaps to a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback on a team that still thinks they can contend to win a Super Bowl. That's a pretty big swing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a uh, well. I mean, we talked. I think I mentioned it in the last show that they had turnover in Tampa Bay now with the injury at guard center guard, and they brought in what is it? What did I say? Shaq Mason. Yeah, is that the the guy they brought in to play guard? Yep. Not looking good on the interior. No, no, it's not. Um, it really, really is not. Uh, also, winners this week, U.S. Congress, as they finally lassoed that slippery son of a bitch, Dan Snyder, and got him to testify to a panel of uh, congressional hearing. Did he do a Zoom from his yacht? Apparently, Daniel Snyder, I'm reading this right now from Pro Football Talk, Daniel Snyder's testimony lasts nearly 11 hours. 11 hours of Dan Snyder talking. I don't know whether I need, I would need bourbon or a bullet to fix that. Listening to that guy talk for 11 hours? You do both. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just think it's funny because I figured that guy was going to hang out on his yacht forever. Like he was never going to have to come home and therefore never be subpoenaed and never have to actually appear before this. And I'll say this. It's, I like the fact that it's happening because I hate Dan Snyder. But Chris, is this really what we care about? No. Like, like we have much bigger problems as a country and you're spending how much money on this, these congressional hearings about a football team. Like, if you think they did something wrong, just shut them down. Just get them. Just get them. If not, quit the dog and pony show. Let's just announce that you're going to do something about it and let him defend himself. Like, this whole, we need to have an, uh, an investigation. and blah, 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 blah. But they did win, because I really never thought they'd get that guy behind a microphone. Not ever. Did you? I took a lot to get him behind a mic. I really didn't think so. Do you think after he gets, like, after... Because you read all the articles, and you hear about how the NFL owners are afraid of Dan Snyder. It's why they haven't pulled the Jerry Richardson and just forced him out. Because he knows too much about everybody else. <laughs> he knows, and they say he's overly litigious, so they're afraid to try to push him out. They're also afraid he'll expose all their backdoor deals and nefarious deals. He'll pull a Donald Trump running for Republican like candidate. He's like, hey, you, you were one of us. He, I'll never forget the debate. Uh, Trump gets to the podium and goes... During the primaries, and Trump goes to the podium, and he goes, you know how I know these, know these guys are all crooks? Yeah, because when I want something done, I call them. 
They want my money. And I call them and I give them my money and they do it. They do what I ask them to do for money. And all these other politicians are standing there going, what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> you're, you're, you're making us all look like schmucks. It's like he could do that to the entire NFL ownership. Yeah. I mean, there are uh, a group of people that are willing to give Dan Snyder their money. Very small amount based on the photos on Twitter <laughs> from their training camp. <laughs> but yes, people are still willing to pay for that. And so I feel like it, good for them, good for Congress for getting him beyond a microphone. Also, holy shit, can we just, if you're going to do something, do something. If not, then just stop teasing me, right? Like, stop teasing me. <laughs> Don't do this. Just let me go back to hating him quietly in a corner. Ugh. The losers are Washington Commanders fans who wanted to see training camp. Anybody who thought that the Bills training camp process, like getting tickets to a, to a game, was a shit show? The Commanders literally said, Hey, Buffalo, hold my beer. They instituted a, a lottery process in order to get tickets. So you, Chris, as a, as a person who lives close enough to training camp, who could attend... Can't just get tickets and go. You have to enroll in a lottery. Precedent was given to season ticket holders first to take the available lottery spots. And then they picked, like, randomly who got who got to go and who... And the fan outrage over the process was pretty hilarious to see. Today, they held their first ticketed practice, and the Washington Post reporters were all over it, pointing out how hilariously small their turnout was. Luke Russert, who's a, who's a national journalist, he's worked for MSNBC and some other major outlets, son of local legend Tim Russert, he made the observation that there was actually more Porta Johns at the facility that day than there were fans at the event. Can you imagine that, Chris? You could have gone and taken a shit in a mint Porta John. That's how few people were there. That's insane. <laughs> imagine loving football. Having a franchise you geographically want to support because they're in your backyard and yet hate them so much that you won't go out to training camp for free. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Among the other losers, because there are a lot of them, Browns fans. We give Browns fans a lot of shit. And to be honest, it's probably more, more like the entire state of Ohio. And some of that is deserved. But their fans, their fans didn't ask for this fiasco. For their former number one overall quarterback to be unceremoniously dumped off the roster so that the team could not only eat salary, but also sign an alleged predator who's more than likely to catch a lengthy suspension from the NFL. And just the same things got worse Wednesday as camp opened and their, head, their fans are greeted with the news that head coach Kevin Stefanski is going to be focused on making sure that their quarterback, too, is ready to go and gets a large volume of first-team reps as they open camp with this looming suspension, and that that quarterback, too, is Jacoby fucking Brissett. Wow. Last season, Brissett was one of the worst passers in football beyond 10 yards. 
those games in Miami, Chris, he had a three three touchdowns to two interceptions and a forty six percent completion percentage when he was asked to throw more than ten yards downfield. That's bad. I don't need to tell you. You're not a stats guy. You're not a numbers guy. You're not an X's and O's guy. You know that that sucks, right? Yeah. Some of that can be blamed on the Miami offensive line, considering he got sacked 19 times in just five and a half starts. But the reality is he's the owner of a 14-23 and 23 record between three NFL franchises, and he's never finished with a winning record when he started more than seven games. So if right now what's being rumored as an eight-game suspension does come to fruition... Browns fans have to know he's probably coming out of this with another losing record. That's what history's shown us. He has no, he's done nothing to prove that he's anything but that. The rushing attack is obviously good, but you need a balanced offense to compete in today's NFL. The Titans are proof of that, right? Oh, you still have to be able to throw a little bit. If they can't, this whole season could unravel before it even gets started, and the Browns could be staring down the barrel of another Hugh Jackson esque season and none of it's their fault none of it's their fault they just backed the wrong NFL franchise another loser is teams with players holding in we discussed in our last show that Jordan Poyer probably against Drew Rosenhaus's best wishes is out there he's practicing he's playing for the Buffalo Bills and he's focused on this season. He's actively trying to prove that he still wants to be a playmaker and a tone setter and a leader on the Buffalo Bills while he's negotiating what is the rest of his future in the NFL. There are multiple players who are choosing not to take that route. When you looked on the list, Chris, the list in front of you, why don't you read them off for the people? Uh, well, I know I did have a text message about one that you can cross off. Apparently, if you want to pull it up, I'll read off all the names, but DK Metcalf got signed. Ah, so they paid that boy. Pull, you look that up. I'll read off all these yep. holdouts. You have Roquan, Roquan Smith with the Bears, Jesse Bates with the Bengals, Dalton Schultz with Dallas, Orlando Brown with the Chiefs, Quinn with the Bears, Debo Samuel with the 49ers. Now, the last one, Debo, not to mention Debo Samuel getting is holding out. I did see earlier today that D Ford got cut. So I don't know if that has anything to do with, with that. Maybe. Maybe they're trying to shed salary so that they can make something happen for him. Because Seattle, that was their most dynamic offensive weapon, DK Metcalf. So I'm looking at the terms right now. Three-year, $72 million extension with $58 million in guarantees. And the interesting thing, when you look at DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf age. So he's 24 years old, which means he signed a three-year deal with $50 million guaranteed. So he just got the bag, right? Yeah. Okay. He's going to get to hit free agency again in three years, maybe sooner if he can force his way off the roster. Which means he not only cashed in for now, this is basically him making a power move against the franchise going, you guys are going to be dog shit. You need me. If he can put up numbers with Drew Locke as his quarterback and whatever they're going to do the next two years after this upcoming season, and he can still put out numbers similar to what he had with Wilson, he's going to hit another payday. Well, and this is my point. He doesn't even have to do that, though, because he has the built-in excuse of, look what a shit show this franchise is. They have no real quarterback. 
it puts the ball in Seattle's court to get a quarterback that he gets along with because he's going to get another bite at the apple here in just two years where he's going to be able to go into another contract. He's going to go into another contract here and say, hey, look, you did my contract early last time. You better do it again or else I'm going to take my I'm going to go chase a ring now because you've proven that you can't build a championship team. It's that's good for him. I'm happy Poyer isn't doing that to us. Meanwhile, the Bears, two of their best defenders are on that list. For Kansas City, Orlando Brown, that's the guy who's supposed to be protecting the blind side of the Chiefs' half-billion-dollar investment at quarterback. That's a big deal. Should we go down the the rankings of who gets paid in the NFL? Quarterback, left tackle, right tackle, defensive end. And it still boggles my mind that Kansas City's even in this position because when you traded for Orlando Brown, I think I said this before on a podcast, you you knew he wanted to get paid. How the fuck did you end up in this weird impasse where you weren't ready to pay him? He wants money. You made what you thought was a good offer. He said, no, I want a better offer. I want the best offer ever if you're going to trust me to protect the highest paid quarterback ever. If he's the highest paid quarterback of all time, then you better be willing to give me highest left tackle money of all time to protect him. If not, you're a bad GM for risking your big investment. It's a bold strategy, but it makes sense. And I'm just surprised that for as much as everyone applauds Brett Veach for being a great GM, that they ended up in this position. So these are guys who are holding in, and they're there, they're at camp, but they're just not practicing. And that's bad, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. Like, it's ugly. It's just every day it gets talked about. Every day it comes up. The coaches can't say anything. They just get, you get beaten down by it a little bit. Hopefully, like DK Metcalf, some of these guys can figure it out eventually. In the case of the Kansas City Chiefs, I hope they never. I hope they never figure that out. <laughs> I hope it. I hope nothing good happens to them ever again. Then, if you boil it down and you look at winners and losers across the AFC East, the Bills were the first team to get training camp going, but our counterparts are starting to get moving, and you're starting to see some things come to the forefront. One of the first winners, Jets defensive end Carl Lawson. The dude shreds his Achilles shortly after joining the uh, Jets, and it's been 11 months since he's been able to really be around the game of football. So seeing these back on the field already off the pup list, that's got to be considered a win, correct? Yeah. I mean, we heard Scott Mason come on the uh, AFC's podcast all last, you know, last preseason, talking up what the impact he thought Carl Lawson was going to have on their defense. So to know that they lost that, but they could be getting getting it back, it's obviously good. And Achilles injuries are tricky. There are not just physical, but mental hurdles involved. Former Bills linebacker Takeo Spikes admitted that he wasn't totally mentally right until after he'd already changed teams. He was playing for the Chargers. That was when he reached a point where he could really trust his Achilles again. So Lawson's production and acclamation is going to be a storyline over the preseason for those guys. But when you're a four-win football team, anytime you can get a prized free agent signing back on the field, that's considered a fucking win. Miami offensive tackle Austin Jackson is a winner today. We have made a, a shitload of jokes at this guy's expense over the last two years, and I think rightfully so. He's been terrible. 
Some of the worst pass pro and run blocking grades in the NFL. He's worse than Cody Ford. That's saying a lot. That's impressive that you can even do that. Some of the worst pa- just some of the worst pass sets. Some of the most egregious blown plays. Do you remember somebody made that one compilation where it's just how many times does Austin Jackson just found not blocking someone and looking around like he's confused? It was a full minute and 40 second clip. That's not good. 12 penalties, two sacks, and 49 pressures allowed. And that was just in 2021. (laughs) That wasn't even his career. (laughs) He blew the block on A.J. Epinesa that derailed to his 2021 season. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Just a a complete Olay block. And A.J. Epinesa comes in untouched with a full head of steam and destroys Tua. Breaks his ribs. He misses multiple weeks. The reason why Jacoby Brissett was even a storyline to begin with. Normally, you would see a new head coach come in and throw a guy like that to the wolves just on principle. Like, I got here. You've sucked, and for some reason, you're still here. You're gone because I don't trust you. Instead, according to Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, Jackson has managed to earn first crack at locking down a starting right tackle job. New coach, new scheme. We've seen that help offensive linemen in the past here in Buffalo. So with that in mind, new philosophies and blocking styles are being employed by Miami. This guy's getting what seems to be a second lease on life. Hopefully he can make the most of that opportunity because his quarterback's life depends on it. And then there's the losers in the AFC East. Uh, Sticking with the offensive tackles, Jets offensive tackle Makai Becton. The big ticket is what he's been calling himself. Becton hasn't exactly had the impact Jets fans thought he was gonna when he made when he made the league as a first round draft pick back in 2020. Limited to just 13 games his first year due to shoulder issues, played one game in 2021 with a knee injury. He's been talking all offseason about this is the year. Chris, doesn't every player kind of say that to a certain degree? Always. Yeah, this is the year. This is my year. This is the year I. This is the year I go from being a career practice squad player. I'm going to earn that job. But you have to. You have to be an optimist. But with the Jets set to open camp this weekend, and I think they actually got their first practice in today, Robert Sal has already announced that George Fant is going to be the starting left tackle. Meaning that Becton now not only has to try and stay healthy and reestablish his conditioning, but he also has to learn a whole new side of the offensive line altogether. Former Browns left tackle Joe Thomas had the, it's probably the best analogy about this. He said, switching from the left side of the line to the right side of the line is like trying to wipe your ass with your non-dominant hand. I urge, I urge you guys listening to this, pause the podcast right now, go try to shit and wipe your ass with the other hand. I don't think it's going to go well. I just don't. (laughs) So you're telling, at least locally, all of our listeners, stop the podcast. Stop the pod, go shit. Go to Mighty Taco. Yes, go to Mighty Taco. Come home, take a dump. Wait, wipe. Mighty Mighty Pack or Super Pack? Probably Super. If you want to have a Super Dump, well, I mean, if you want it to work quickly, you got to get in there. But Mighty Pack <laughs> is six tacos. Super Pack is only four burritos. Are you a burrito or a taco guy? But beans aren't available on a taco. They would be on a burrito. Yeah. Look at you. Talking shitting knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) 
God damn. This is the Rock Pal Report <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is what you show up for every week. But yeah, so go try it. Because here, this is what happens. It can be done. Kansas City's Orlando Brown. He went from being a right tackle in Baltimore to a left tackle in Baltimore to a left tackle in Kansas City. But it's a whole different technique, and the mechanics are totally different. For a player who's played a lot, that might not be that hard. But when you think about a guy like Becton and how much time he's missed over his career, you could make the argument that this is almost like a whole new rookie season for Becton, which isn't a great place to be. And while, according to his head coach, he's saying all the right things and Becton's bought in and he's... It's going to be interesting to watch his acclimation to this and see if he has any of those rookie struggles again. Got a crack of Montucky for this one. Hot take artists. And whoever the fuck the Finn's Tailgate podcast is. This time of year, there's so much damn content. And so much of it's guys... Chris, we know these guys, right? There's journalists in our local market who are doing it right now. Everybody's talking about the same five, six, seven stories, right? Yep. And they're just competing to see who can say the most compelling thing that a dozen other people are saying the same things about. Some of that's natural because fans want to hear about topics that are popular. Like there's certain things like that's why the topic is popular, right? Yeah. Fans want to know. And it's our job as content creators to talk about the things you guys want to hear. Otherwise it would just be me and Chris getting hammered and rambling about our lives, cracking jokes, Maybe bring in someone to talk about barbecue. Do you think that we have it in us, Chris, to ever pull off a non-football comedy podcast, kind of like Joe List and Mark Norman, Louis J. Gomez, Big J. Okerson? We could do it because... Matt McCusker, Shane Gillis. We could do it because we thoroughly enjoy ripping on each other. We really do have no respect for each other. We do, but we don't. No, I, I mean... You, like, I love you. Also, nothing would make me happier than make it like showing the picture that I have that someone, your mom's bathroom had a, like a, a floor level window and there's just a picture of you taking a dump. Oh yeah, that's right. When my mom moved into her house. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than throwing that out there on social media yeah. and just making it awkward for you. I don't know why. Like you, I give you full authority to tweet that out. It's funny when bad things happen to your friends, and it's funny when we sit here and roast each other over things that our listeners would never know about if we didn't tell them. Yeah, my mom had in, <laughs> moved into a house. The window went to the floor, and she hadn't put up any type of curtains or blinds yet in the bathroom. So if you went outside... You could, like, full frontal see somebody taking a dump in the front bathroom. And someone got a picture of you. Yeah, my brother. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it was all for show. I was not taking an actual dump. I sat, I pulled my pants down. All right. Like I was going to take a dump. And my brother went outside, snapped a photo for me. I put it on Facebook. Well, what I like is now I have that photo and I can make whatever narrative up of that thing I want to. And you can't do anything about it. No, and go go ahead. Have fun with making up a fake but narrative so that, about it. But so you think we could pull that off? Yeah, you we, me, yeah, we can. Just comedy podcast. We can legit because cover one politics. Yeah, cover one social issues. We can we can bring in all the different banners that we want to fly. Our oh my god, we, do you know how fast we'd get shut off? Well, I don't know about that. 
but we I, I feel like we get canceled pretty quickly because no, one of us would take things too far. No, well, I did mention if you did start, I mean, you don't have any common sense or personality. No, we well, we did mention that if you did start the Twitter handle at Cover One Politics, which you should probably get that just now go get it now before somebody that's hearing this gets that Twitter handle. But we did talk about tweeting something out completely right wing, and then five minutes later tweeting out something completely left wing <laughs> and then Twitter wouldn't know how to how to handle it. And then just something anarchist for good measure. Just yeah. <laughs> abolish the government altogether and everyone's gonna go, what is this? I don't know what this it's is. A comedy pod it's a new comedy podcast venture. Yeah, you you and I would be the only ones laughing at it. That's that's the thing I find funniest. But some of these people let me get back to the point here. Some of these people, they feel like they're out here trying to spin plates, make content. They feel like they have to jump the shark for clicks and attention. And then they do it again. And they do it again. Because it pads their pockets even if it's utter drivel. We're not one of them. But holy shit, is it bad out here in these podcast streets. Just take this excerpt from the Finn's Tailgate podcast, who I only know about because the Buffalo Fanatics crew brought it to everyone's attention. Buffalo Bill fans are 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 kind of like their quarterback. They're poor winners, and they're and they're getting caught, you know, believing, you know, smelling their own shit for that reason. And yep. they and they're thinking it. But now they're seeing the Dolphins, a more competitive team, a team that for the most of of time, other than the Jim Kelly in recent memory, we've kept in their place at the bottom of the vision. That they're they're looking at us trying to figure, oh, no, you know, you're not coming nowhere. They think they're sitting atop some, somewhere. And I'm telling you, they're, they're a couple of bad games away from being third in the division if they're not due. Drew, I will start. You showed me a picture of the guy. No, 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 no. I want you guys to think about what you just heard. That is Chris El Capitan, host of the Finn's Tailgate podcast. Um. First of all, he has the mustache you would expect him to have. Okay? Can I, let me... Let he is also, like, I'm looking at the video, Chris, this is what I showed you. He's recording this whilst wearing a purple suit that has shoulder pads sewn into it, which I think went out of fashion b before Miami Vice... During Probably. Miami Vice? My mom wore shoulder pads to work at AT&T back in the late 80s. I can tell you right now, you showed me a picture of the guy. I can tell you right now, the guy is 100% married. And I know that because where else are you going to get a pencil to draw on that mustache and go to? <laughs> that Here's is completely drawn on. Here's what I love. He goes, Bills fans talking about thinking that they're on top of something because, you know, except for the... I love how he goes, except for the Jim Kelly era, which spanned, I don't know... 10 years? 10 years and... 86 to 96? And the best years of their franchise... Was the 70s. Well, no, no, but I'm saying, like, from the 90s... To the 2000s, their sweet spot was kind of the early 90s. They just kept running into the wood chipper that was the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, we might have split <laughs> season games, but when it came to the playoffs, we had their number. So, besides the Jim Kelly era, 
And he goes, and do you notice how casually and quickly he goes, in recent history? And recent history. Pro football. Uh, pro football reference. Miami Dolphins. Team history. Here we go. Chris, and recent history. I'm going to run this down. Starting in 2021. Third out of four teams. Second out of four. Fourth out of four. Second out of four. Third out of four. Second out of four lost it blown out in the wild card round. Gase's first, like the last time they made the playoffs. This well, is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since two thousand eight. When was the that prior off, to that? When was that off year that they won the division? That was two thousand eight. Lost in the wild card. Okay. Uh two thousand one. Lost in the wild card. That was Wanstead as their head coach. Dave Wanstead. The mustache. This guy looks like he's wearing a shitty version of what he... Like, this is what he thinks Dave Wanstead would be wearing. The thing that he's dr- crudely drawn on his upper lip there. Yeah, think of... For the, those local, think of the Dave Wanstead mustache. And then think of that mustache at Cathroad Rays on Allen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so here's what I want to point out. One, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Okay. So since the turn of the century, since two thousand, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen times they've finished third or fourth in the AFC East. Sounds like a good time. I don't know that that qualifies for quote unquote in recent history. <laughs> oh, the Bills. You know, the Dolphins have kept them in their place, you know, in recent history. Those guys I, are losers. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> losers. In case anyone wants to go see this, because I just, it, it's it's genius to me. Uh, we're looking at what? The Finns, F-I-N-S, tailgate on Twitter. At the Finns tailgate. His name is, he goes, his name is Chris. So obviously, douchebag Chris is like they all like that's just a name. It just it just permeates this kind of behavior. Yeah, I'm looking at you and your stupid hair. What'd you <laughs> what, say his nickname was? If I come down here and you're ever wearing a suit with shoulder pads and that hair, I'll just fucking leave. What was his like nick? El Capitan. El Capitan. Oh, sounds like somebody wants to be a uh, poor man's Dave Portnoy. <laughs> He, he, I mean, I'm looking at I'd this say suit. So, I'm looking at this suit. It probably came from the Salvation Army. Yeah. Prob- and not like a Macklemore Salvation Army. He, he's not popping tags. He, he's not cool with the Velcro shoes. He's just some dude with a terrible facial hair situation literally talking out of his ass about the Miami Dolphins. It's, it's hilarious. And that's where we are. Guys, don't be this guy, first of all. Don't be this guy. Second of all, we need the regular season to get here, don't we? Just so that this shit comes to an end. And before we get there, there's one more loser from the AFC East who's maybe bigger than this guy, and it's Patriots quarterbacks and cornerback Jack Jones. Yesterday, Josh Allen at training camp put on a red zone clinic, throwing seven touchdowns and going 13 of 15 against the secondary that to this point has gotten the better of the Bills' offense. 
but also has some incredible starting talent on the field. Today at Patriots camp, Brian Hoyer, sitting out because he's old as shit and already strained his throwing shoulder in their very first practice, Mac Jones and your friend, Chris Bailey Zappi. Yeah, Western Kentucky won some won me some money last season. They combined to go one for 11 in the red zone with Mac Jones overthrowing four different players. And at one point, the, de- the defense had 10 straight forced incompletions. <laughs> and that's not a defense with a bunch of world beaters on it. it that's not good, is it? No. The question I have is, is that more a problem with the quarterback or is that the fact that they still don't know who the fuck the play caller is? Like, it sounds like it might be zeroing in on Matt Patricia. Do you trust that? No. Do you trust Jim, what, Joe Judge? No. Both of them, I was listening to WGR 550 on my drive home today. And, you know, as I'm searching for a comedy podcast, because that's what I listen to. Like, I don't listen to a ton of sports radio to begin with. But I heard Bulldog make the point as they were talking about this topic, and he goes, it's, it, apparently Matt Patricia, they're, they're kind of leaning to him to be the primary play caller. But he goes, Joe Judge, Jim Patricia, because they were talking Matt Patricia, because they were talking about whether or not the betting odds on the Patriots being bad. Like, not just, hey, they might struggle to finish in second. Like, they might actually be fighting for third. That's how bad this team could be. The thing you pointed to is the two guys you've tasked with running your offense seem to just piss off all of the players they've ever coached. Think back to their head coaching tenure, Chris. Nobody liked those guys. Their players routinely quit on them, which is why they were out of the, they're already back crawling back to New England. So can you blame the quarterbacks for the fact that their under-talented offense with no great wide receiver talent is struggling at this point in the season? Yeah. It's a uh, challenge over there in New England. Which is hilarious to think about because they've had Tom Brady for so long and they've always been so cocky about how they can just... You know what I mean? Like They, they, they think that they can just make shit happen. It's gonna, They can turn water into wine no matter what, all of the time, damn the consequences. So it's hilarious to me to see them going through this. And also, cornerback Jack Jones... June 19th, 2022, ESPN, ESPN's Mike Rice penned an article entitled Patriots rookie Jack Jones has emerged as a contender to fill top cornerback role. For friend of the show and diehard Pats fan Christian Simonelli, I hope not. Like, for his sake, I hope that that doesn't come to fruition. Because the fourth rounder has been fairly abused by New England's wide receivers up and down the depth chart. Multiple touchdowns, multiple big plays in coverage, does like when you think about it, the fact that he's getting beat, and then you look at it and say New England might have the weakest wide receiver depth chart in the AFC, or at least the AFC East. AFC East, who has a better wide receiver depth chart than Buffalo? Um, in terms of proven ability to play football at a high level. Indianapolis, if this was the no, 90s. I'm talking about just the AFC. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it, right? So, the Patriots might be at the bottom of that list. The Jets have used high draft capital to put premium talent into their wide receiver core. the The Dolphins traded for Tyreek Hill and drafted Jalen Waddle, both of whom have proven to be effective wide receivers. What do the Patriots have? Nothing. 
So the fact that he's getting abused, but they viewed him as a starting option, that's hilarious. And the talk is now changing to veteran Terrence Mitchell having to be bumped up to number one opposite Jalen Mills. Mitchell was awful last year. He allowed a 104.7 QBR when he was targeted in 2021. Fucking hilarious. So Chris, raise a glass. It could be a long, long summer for the New England Patriots fans, and I couldn't think of a better group of people, our friends notwithstanding, for it to happen to. And obviously we have to get to the Buffalo Bills, because that's the crux of the show, right? Like, I could do a show like this. I could do a podcast where I just dunk on other franchises and make fun of things for an hour. Yeah. I think we could do that and make it entertaining. But we have to talk about the Buffalo Bills. And that brings us to the winners. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. It's funny, that was our drop for heroes and zeros. I feel like we almost have to retire that, don't you, Chris? I think we used it two years in a row. Yeah. It's time for a new one. Guys, listeners, if you have any movie quotes, TV show quotes, things that you think might be funny, tweet them at us, at Report. We've got a vault of, of drops and sound clips, and Chris and I are going to pour over them over the next couple weeks, kind of set up our in-season drop sets and what we want to use and what we want to do for different things. But if you have any suggestions that we might not have thought of, I'm interested to hear what you, <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you guys think. But if we're talking about winners, I'm thinking like uh, Teledega Knights, because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Wide receivers Khalil Shakir and Isaiah McKenzie are definitely winners. Jameson Crowder's been missing multiple days of practice. And if we're going to start with Shakir, he's been showing out essentially in every single practice. Rave reviews from route running and usage of like veteran techniques, like double moves. He was credited with using multiple double moves to get himself, himself open for catches during practice this week. And just footwork that sets up some really nasty cuts when he decides to break on his route and just gear up to his top speed. He's also grabbing balls that for a guy his size, because he's not the most physically intimidating wide receiver, Chris. No. Things that you would think would be outside his catch radius. He's displaying as good as advertised body control and hands to make tough catches behind him or ones that are being contested, catches in traffic. He's doing these things that everyone, usually in the draft when you hear this stuff talked about, it never comes to fruition. It's just window dressing. Everyone goes, look what he can do. And then they get to the NFL level and like we said last week in the last show, two-thirds of rookies disappear during training camp because NFL veterans go, hey, Take a seat. I do this for a living. You're just starting to learn how it works. Instead, he's flashing left and right every single day during camp, showing that he might just have something here, even as a fifth-round draft pick. Meanwhile, McKenzie has also been talked about as one of the more reliable targets for whoever the quarterback is that he's working with that day. Chris, that has to, that has to stick in your craw, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Why? Why do you dislike McKenzie so much? I don't. I just think he can get what he does cheaper. Well, let's say Khalil Shakir can do a very good job from the slot. You still need a veteran who can also moonlight as a returner, correct? Shakir can do that, right? But you also want someone who's at least seen it at the NFL level. 
You know what I've seen? Well, so here's the question. You, no, let me tell you what I've seen. What? I've seen McKenzie fumble because of gravity. Okay. But if you're building an NFL team and you have three options, I have a rookie who's never done it. I've got a slot option who has come through for me in big games. Big games where I needed him. And he won his matchup over and over and over again. Key to close win in hostile territory. And then also, I've got this other guy who's old. He's done the punt return, kick return thing, but he's never been a useful offensive weapon. Well, Who are you going to lean towards as far as, I just want this guy around? The Rook. <laughs> because you're dumb, and this is why you don't run football teams. You, for every rookie yeah, that you yeah, think can grow you, into that role, you have, for every... But you don't want it to be Tavon Austin... No. Because of what we have right here. No, I don't want it to be Tavon Austin because he has no proof that he can be an offensive asset to this football team. Or that if he makes a 53, you have to have uh, RBs. Yeah, but that, do- well, that doesn't play into it. Yeah, it does. No. See, I'm not even thinking about that. What I'm thinking about is... You think an Arby's roast beef sandwich soaked in Seagram's for 24 hours is appetizing? No, I like I'd forgotten about that bet until you just mentioned it. That's how little attention I pay to Tavon Austin because I don't think he's a useful NFL football player. I think that we have the skill on this roster with Khalil and McKenzie that we don't need him, right? We don't yeah. need him. So as McKenzie starts to show better and better and better every day in camp, I think that the two of them are giving the team more options elsewhere to look around and go, hey, we've got our slot jobs kind of locked down. We've got some other guys hanging around out here. I just think that McKenzie's success, Khalil's emergence, kind of quicker than people would have expected. The Bills are going to make some decisions when it comes to both returning and the slot job. I think that that thing is getting sewn up faster than people realize. Also, DeMar Hamlin, Cam Lewis, and Saran Neal. Considering the uncertainty around Trey White, we all knew the Bills would be giving the depth of their defensive back room a hard look to see who they could rely on. And Brandon Bean said, we talked about it in our last podcast, that he wasn't going to make a move yet. He would make a move if he felt like the team needed it, whether it was to trade for a veteran or whether it was to go out to somebody who's on the free agent market. But he wanted to see what the team had first, which is pragmatic. Well, they're showing really well, right? There's a number of names inserting themselves into this conversation that might give Beans some pause before he starts picking up the phone and making calls. First of all, Damar Hamlin. GoLongTD.com. Tyler Dunn has a fantastic piece on Damar Hamlin from last offseason when he was a rookie that really makes you want to root for him and find out more about his life and his approach. It also opens your eyes to the ferocity that he approaches the game with and how in a lot of ways he's like a young, raw version of what Jordan Poyer currently is. You watch his college tape. You watch. You hear about his approach to the game and how cerebral he is about it. He's a kid who's going to need a lot of coaching, but he could get there, and he's been flashing in training camp. Anytime he's given the opportunity, he's making plays. Matt Perino, just the other day, credited him with a highlight of training camp when he deflected and then took a pass was coming into tight end Quentin Morris. He deflected the pass, tipped it, but he knew how to tip it up almost like volleyball style so that he could get his own deflection for an interception. 
Meanwhile, multiple reporters have been raving about the play of Cam Lewis and Saran Neal at cornerback, despite the expected talent, I don't know, deficit without Trey White on the field. Cam Lewis, that's a good one. Because, Chris, we didn't hear about him a lot last year, did we? No, we didn't. So the fact that he's now out there making plays, making a name for himself, that has to make the team pretty against this wide receiver core. And that's the other thing I'd stress. It goes back to what we said last week. The wide receiver cores that we're going to be facing out of the gate, some of them do have, like the Rams, are probably the stiffest test. You get beyond that, and those teams don't have a lot to offer you in terms of high-end weaponry. So if you have to rely on guys like Saran Neal, I'm hearing that Saran Neal goes step-for-step step with Stephon Diggs and just mans up with him and follows him down the field and provides good coverage. I'm hearing Cam Lewis is competing. What He had multiple pass breakups per practice. That's a good sign for the Buffalo Bills that maybe you don't have to go out there and spend money or leverage future assets on bringing in a veteran cornerback if these guys can get you over this hump and get Trey White back to the roster. Isn't that a win in your book? It is. I'll take it. Now, we've got winners. There has to be losers. Fucking embarrassing! Wide receiver Jamison Crowder. I was really, I'm not, not going to say really excited when we signed him, but I liked the idea. I go, okay, you went out and got a guy who was productive with Washington. He was productive with New York. He was maybe their most reliable receiver for stretches. Remember how we talked at the top of the show about a one man's loss can be another man's gain? With the whole Ryan Jensen thing? Yeah. The inverse of that is also true, which is something Crowder is finding himself on the other side of. He hasn't been available since camp broke. He's logged almost no reps with our starting offense, and he's left the door wide open for Isaiah McKenzie and Shakir to shine. He's obviously not going to be in danger to be cut, but he's losing valuable time to build the rapport with his new starting quarterback, and that's going to be interesting because his contract, right? Like He has to get into the mix for a couple different reasons. First of all, with the departures of Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley, the Bills have vacated 184 targets from last season. Davis is obviously going to get an increased workload. That's going to be a thing that happens. They're going to put him outside, and he's going to see more targets as your number two wide receiver. He only had 63 targets last season. But even if he gets close to 100, that's still 140 passes that need a body to take him. Considering he was on paper the most proven slot option coming into this season, the consensus before camp was that he was a lock to consume a sizable portion of those. But if Shakir and McKenzie keep making plays, and the team has more long-term ties to those two players, it's not a stretch to think they could start to gear their offensive plans entering those first few preseason games with less and less of Crowder in mind. And if that happens, you start to see a trend where a guy can get phased out of the offense to a degree. That's important to Crowder because Crowder signed a deal that's worth, quote-unquote, up to $4 million. In reality, it's a $1.98 million deal that's heavily laden with incentives, including roster bonuses and a per-active game bonus that makes up the other $1.1 million. 
if Crowder falls too far, far behind on the depth chart, he risks his own paycheck, even if he technically is still on the team. Another loser from this early goings of training camp, offensive tackle Bobby Hart. Like a fucking bad penny, this guy just keeps finding his way back to the Buffalo Bills roster to the frustration of our fan base. How is that a surprise to anybody? We knew he was a loser last year. And yet he's still here. And just like his odd support for anti-Semitic statements, flat earth justifications, and apparent belief that prescription medication is a myth, his inclusion on the roster doesn't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. What does make sense is that he's apparently getting his ass whipped by our young rotational defensive ends throughout this week's practices because that guy is just not good at the game of football. He's not. Now, I will give him a, if I'm going to give him anything, having pads on brings a whole different level of physicality to blocking. That means defensive players do inherently at this phase of things have an advantage in these kinds of drills and setups. But technique-wise... He's been atrocious, apparently. We're allowing himself to just be, like, on one rep, Chris. He gets just picked up and bulldozed backwards into the quarterback by A.J. Epinesa. And then Boogie Basham, who wasn't anything special last year. He's not a world beater, right? He's I no, can tell you how many times he was uh, on the inactive list he was on no, Sundays. Yeah, he was, no, uh, he was no rookie phenom. No, I remember you brought that up to Greg at the Saints game when we had him on, and he lost his shit because you mentioned uh, Creed Humphrey. We could have had Creed Humphrey. I brought that up to him at the cookout on <laughs> Sunday. I go, I go, what is it about me specifically that I can just get under your skin? It's your face. No, you know what he said? He goes, it's because, and this is probably one of the best comp- backhanded, not backhanded compliments, but compliments anyone's ever given me. He goes, when I... Hold somebody in high regard because I think that they're a smart individual when it comes to a topic. God. Yeah. He goes, when I... I can't believe that came out of his mouth. He goes, when I view somebody like that and then they say something crazy, he's like, I, he's like it's almost like a short circuit. I can't handle it because it's, it's chipping away at the belief structures that I currently hold. <laughs> it's like, I believe that you're an intelligent person, so why are you saying this crazy fucking thing? See, I only think I don't think it's that crazy because you can make that connection. Well, we could have had Creed Humphrey. Yeah, and you're only you're only saying that based on the amount of times we saw Basham on the inactive list on Sundays. It's like why is true. this guy inactive when we could have had this guy? But then also, to his point, by that same logic, the Patriots could have had DK Metcalf instead of Nikhil Harry. A lot of teams could have. A lot of teams could have had DK Metcalf. They just chose not to. Like, what are they all bad? Were they all making? No, nobody knew he would turn into what he did. No, it wasn't. uh, Revisionist history is a bad thing. It's a bad road to go down. Wasn't Creed Humphrey like the next pick or the pick or two picks after? Uh, He was the exact. I remember saying it because I was I was so sure that the Bills were going to take Creed Humphrey. That I said to myself, it sucks the Chiefs are going to get... I know he was the very next pick, because I said it sucks that the Chiefs are going to get better at defensive end, because they don't need it. Boogie Basham is going to be good. Well, Creed is an offensive lineman. Yeah, I know. But I was like, oh, so when the Chiefs, when we draft Creed Humphrey, 
Because that's a slam dunk pick for the Bills. They need an interior offensive lineman who will eventually take Mitch Morse's job and will ever center the future. Two picks. and Two picks. The yeah. Packers took Josh Myers in between. Yeah. So when that happened, right, we took Basham, and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. And then when they took Creed Humphrey, I was just, it, it, it was like a gut punch. It's like, ah, damn it. Yeah, and plus you, we also the saw... The player that I was mad about, them getting, we got. And then the player that I was like, well, I guess I'll take it. Plus now if, I'm mad about it. Plus, if you watch Embedded that year, Bean, Bean was getting calls to trade back, and he was like, the guy that we want is there, and if he's there, we're going to take him. And that's what ended up happening. I guess this guy was Basham all along throughout the second round. So Basham goes up against Bobby Hart. And just literally out footworks this guy. Now, this is a guy who's played on Sundays. That's the equivalent of uh, me taking a rep against your son, Jack. <laughs> it's like this is a guy who's played on NFL Sundays who should be better than this. And he just gets danced around by Boogie Basham. It's a bad sign. It's a quarterback pressure that likely would have been a sack in a game scenario. The pads are going to come on next week. And if Hart thinks he can compete with Tommy Doyle for a swing tackle job, he's really going to have to be better. Because we've got multiple multifaceted offensive linemen who can play inside or outside. Meaning the Bills probably wouldn't be saving a spot anywhere on the practice squad for Hart if he can't prove that he's capable of stopping our backup defensive ends. Like, this guy lost his ass out there. He showed his ass on social media. He showed his ass on the football field. He might be nearing the end of his NFL tenure. And then the biggest losers of the week, Chris, and what I think are our inaugural Rock Power Report hot takes segment. This girl is on fire. Drew's hot take of the week. I got a lot of hot takes. What do you want from me? <laughs> I love your production. I love how you threw away all my ideas for this segment uh, and when, just made up your own, and it's way better. Yeah, well, when you texted to me, I was like, and you're like, hot, hot takes. I'm like, the only thing, the first thing I thought of was like, this girl is on fire. Well, our inaugural installment of the Hot Take segment. You know who the biggest losers of the week are? Bills fans complaining about O.J. Howard. Don't take offense to this, although I really don't give a shit if you do, I guess. (laughs) If you're one of these people I see or hear carping about how O.J. Howard doesn't look fast or explosive, or he's not making enough plays, you're on this list and you deserve to be here. Loser and possibly in need of medication or sedation. Chris, tight end two has always been a position that's produced very little for the Buffalo Bills. True or false? True. Tight end! Butch Roll, last number two that we had. Tight end has been a kind of black hole for the Buffalo Bills throughout the last 20 years. Who, who, who's the, scratch Dawson Knox for a second. Who's the last tight end that made an impact in a game that you remember? Big Red, Pete Metzelars. Okay, so you're going back to the 90s. Yeah. 
through the drought era, who's a tight end you remember that made something happen? Ever. Um... I don't know. None. We didn't have any. I remember the elusive Michael Gaines. The only reason I say that is because he was 285 pounds. The guy that broke his neck. Kevin Everett. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he made headlines. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll listen to that. Otherwise, the tight end position has been a black hole for the Buffalo Bills. We finally have a good one. Now you guys are pissed about tight end two? The fuck is wrong with you? It has never produced in terms of yardage for the Buffalo Bills, and definitely not since Sean McDermott got here. I mean, look at this. The last three years, Chris. I'm going to break this down just so that you and the listeners can understand why I'm so pissed off about this. 2021, Tommy Sweeney, 12 targets, 44 yards, one touchdown. That was our tight end, too. Uh, In the playoffs... In the playoffs, Tommy Doyle scored a touchdown as a tight end, eligible receiver acting as a blocker on the line. I think he holds the record for the heaviest player to ever score a playoff touchdown. 2020, Lee Smith and Tyler Croft, 22 combined targets, 154 yards. I believe they had like... uh, Croft and Sweeney in 2019. 27 targets, 185 yards. What I think is funny is that our offense has gotten better. But as that's happened, yardage generated by the tight end two spot has actually declined. And last year, we didn't even use one. (laughs) Tommy Doyle, our offensive tackle, took a whole bunch of reps at tight end two because he was the best run-blocking option we had compared to anybody else who might take the gig. But the production in the red zone... When it came to touchdowns, stark contrast. 2019, one touchdown from a backup tight end. 2022, five touchdowns from tight ends not named Dawson Knox. 2021, back to one touchdown from any other tight end on the team. Mostly because an offensive tackle took a lot of time taking snaps there. This is and always was going to be the value of O.J. Howard. Right, You're going to have a body as tight end two who can both run block effectively and also give you the most utility from a a number two tight end. Just from an offensive production standpoint, you've had under Sean McDermott at all over the course of this. Who's better? What, Lee Smith? He's good at blocking. He's a a one-trick pony. Tommy Doyle can only block for you. He can't catch. True or false? True. Tyler Croft? He made one cool catch. Actually, two. Two catches that I remember in his whole career. Uh, The touchdown against the Rams? Yep. And the touchdown against the Steelers when they played Renegade. And they got all, they got the, the fans got themselves all whipped into a frenzy. And Josh Allen came out in like two plays. Just one. Boom. Completion, boom, Tommy Doyle, backdoor, fucking 28-yard touchdown. Suck my ass. Suck my ass. We're winning this game. Duck Hodges, I'll see you in hell. So, (sighs) what this is, is O.J. Howard is here to try to correct this touchdown regression from 2020 to 2021 that we witnessed from the group in the red zone. 
Anybody who was expecting him to show up here and suddenly make our tight end room look like a less murdery version of Gronk and Hernandez in New England is either drunk or certifiably insane. Chris, did you think this guy was going to be a star? Mm. O.J. Howard, you probably did coming out of Alabama. Yeah, when he got drafted. At this point, I've seen his resume. I understand what his limitations are. For fans who thought that they were going to come in here and they're like, well, it's going to give us all kinds. It will give us exotic 12 personnel looks. It'll give us the ability to play more more two tight end formations, but still run different passing concepts out of them and keep a defense honest. But anyone who thought that he was coming in here to be after watching Dawson Knox last year, that he was stepping in here to be a dynamic comparison to like a a better than Robin to his Batman. If he was that fucking good, Tampa would have put more effort into keeping him, right? Yeah. And having unrealistic expectations like that isn't going to get anybody anywhere. So if you genuinely read these practice reports and hear that, well, he went down the sideline and he looked slow and the ball got batted away or his hands didn't look whatever. Who gives a fuck? He's the best number two tight end we've had under Sean McDermott. This is the first time we've had a legitimate tight end to pair with Dawson Knox, who is now playing like a legitimate tight end. I don't want to hear any more about this. I I swear to God, I'm going to need a pillow to scream into. I don't want to say I'm going to bite people like Mike Tyson, but it's, it's on that level. Like, it's that level of frustration for me. God. We're all fired up, and it's our last segment of the podcast. Chris, do you have any losers you can think of? You? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, a but that, yeah, that's a given. That's a given, right? That's a given, but I can only imagine where this segment is going in the coming weeks. <sighs> I can't wait. I'm glad we got to do this, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you for showing up, guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Report.